Hello, spreaders, and welcome to The Spread. This is season three, and I'm your host, Kaz. Best off. To those of you already following Dear Law, thank you. If you're not, you should already be doing so. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, it's a female-led project set to create narratives around survivors of sexual harassment. So we're calling out and reaching out to so many people in the legal profession who have any experiences with sexual harassment and using this content to create an anthology with all the letters and a podcast. And we're even going as far as creating a stage performance, which is going to be happening at some point in 2020. We will definitely keep you posted. But we urge that if you know anyone who is willing to come out and talk about their experience with sexual harassment, especially if they're in the legal profession, please, please, please ask them to reach out. There's a link in the description box below that shares the details of how you can be a part of this project. Please don't forget to follow Dear Law on all of their social media platforms. That's at Dear Law underscore KE on Instagram and Twitter and Dear Law on Facebook. And since we're talking about following and stuff, please don't forget to follow us on at the spread pod that's across the board on all of our social media platforms and if you're listening from an apple device please just head over to apple Podcasts and leave us a review it's the reason that we stay on top of the charts is because of your reviews and leave us a five star actually wherever you're listening just like leave a review just say dope or just use one word to describe how you feel about our podcast this is how we continue to stay relevant on today's podcast janet Bugua has been a person that I've admired like in the Kenyan media for years. She's shown the world that she can do it all. You know, children, um, marriage, which, as you know, is completely hard to navigate in these here streets. And after years of being a news anchor, she walked out on a high-profile job to start her own company and continues to create spaces for young girls around the country to grow and flourish and not to be overpowered by the poverty that eats into our spaces. She's a real one. She's a beacon of light and just basking in her presence will allow you to feel that way. I swear. What an honor it has been to have her on the show and discuss all these wonderful things about womanhood, including including her first time. Welcome to the spread, folks. So take my hand and run away with me. So far away that we won't follow me. Let me twist into your song. Hey, cause all I ever is for more of you. When you let me show myself to you, I want So Janet Bugwa, yes, um, Dishu. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the show. Welcome Thank to the spread. Yay. I've been meaning to have you on the show for a really long time, mm -hmm. and then I just kind of have never asked. But it was so easy. I asked like a few days ago, and here you are. Yes. Thank you for asking. By the way. Yeah. It's an incredible show. Oh, thank you. No, it is. It really is. And it's <laughs> kind of like um, I feel like it's a pioneer, especially in our you know community. Yeah. Yeah. So it that's is. pretty dope. It is. Mm. I'm very proud. I'm very proud of the spread. The spread exceeded all of my expectations. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm just like sitting in the back seat yeah. while it drives itself. Okay. Yeah. That's powerful. 
It is. And that's why I have powerful people like you on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Nice segue. See what I did there? See what I did <laughs> I there? I saw you did that. Very cool. <laughs> and Janet, for those of you who don't know, actually, Janet, we have like 50% of our listenership is from the U.S. Mm. So we have a really big uh, U.S. audience yeah. and many people who may not know you. And so I really want to go through like the tick the boxes of letting people know who you are. Okay. Um, maybe you can do that. Okay. I'll try and really summarize it. I... Um, a media personality. I mean, communications. I was a TV presenter starting in 2007 with a travel show and then transitioned to be a news anchor, which I did for about 10 years. And I worked in both Kenya and South Africa, you know, doing being a news anchor, producer, reporter. And then in that space, I also ended up getting into social mission, which is how I started my foundation, Inuadada Foundation, which really addresses you know, menstrual inequality, and just, I think, getting girls to understand the power they have within them from a young age. Um, and then also joined Life Boys Help a Child Reach Five campaign in Kenya, uh, representing Kenya globally, which is about um, hand hygiene as a way to save lives for children. And then finally, now working with a group called The Hive, uh, based out of the US, but really using digital and social media and influencers to amplify gender equality advocacy. So really, I'm really passionate about human rights. I realized before it was kind of skewed to, you know, I think it was very one dimensional. And then I just realized, I just kind of want everybody to live their best life or to thrive. And human rights violations get in the way of that so much. And so I would say I'm somebody who's really passionate about seeing people getting justice and people having access to the rights. Um, but obviously there is a little bit of me that leans towards women and girls just because I've been in a space where because of my, you know, because of who I am or because I'm a woman, there's things that have stood in the way. And then finally, because I have two sons who I really want them to um, take everyone as they come in whichever form that the people they meet come without putting any labels or um, having any preconceived notions of how uh, people are supposed to live their lives. So I'm trying to raise them. They're very young. They're one and four. <laughs> but with my four-year-old, I'm already having conversations around just what does he see and what does he, how does he perceive it and kind of trying to encourage him to be a little bit um, open-minded. So I've kind of gone from who I am to... <laughs> you know, um, who I am in my career to who I am as a person. But that's, in a nutshell, what I do. I'm a moderator sometimes. I'm, um, I think I'm just passionate about using communications and storytelling to, for people uh, to talk about their issues. Yeah. People need to hear uh, mm. different kinds of storytelling because mm. we, our generation, grew up with stories being told for us and not right. being able to hear our own stories being told so not having anything to relate to right except what we have access to which is the media and um predominantly like white culture yeah and then like finding out much later in life that you know yeah we don't have to have silky blonde hair or thrive to have it you yeah know? exactly <clears throat> so um yeah i think the uh, especially what you're saying about storytelling is really important because mm -hmm. then we ha you're creating a, mm -hmm. a role model yeah if i may, i know some people don't like that term mm -hmm. so because <laughs> there's a lot of pressure exactly. attached to it but it is you're right it's i think it's 
And I love what you're saying. I think we all had those moments where we're like, oh, I wish I looked different or I don't look like what, you know, the media portrays. Yeah, even just like body conscious wise or even conversations around periods, for example. Right. I mean, they were never had. And yeah. Even... I, as a personal example, at home, I didn't really have that much of a period conversation. Mm -hmm. I had a little one. I remember my mom telling me that tampons were sweets and trying to put that thing in my mouth when she wasn't looking, you know? Wow. (laughs) That I'm going to remember. (laughs) But yeah, that's the thing. That's what you, uh, I think that's what you remember. And so it's so great to live in a time when we can tell our own stories um, and then have people say, oh yeah, I I relate to that. And that, that sounds like me. It's really, it's a really good time, I think, to be alive and see our culture come to life and be celebrate who we actually are, you know, flaws and all. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, something you said earlier really stood out, um, just how you have evolved from being like a mainstream stream journalist into mm-hmm. doing more activism work. Right. A thing that I'm curious about, mm-hmm. I've had this conversation with friends of mine before, And I've always said, I don't think I could be friends with somebody that's not an activist. There is a type of compassion that comes with work that involves activism. And I'm curious from a personal perspective, what do you think is the thing Mm -hmm. that made you want to do that, to to care about other people when you could be caring about yourself? (laughs) Just me. (laughs) No, that's, that's a really important question. I think because I was in, you know, reading the news, um, reporting, you know, you interact with so many stories. And some of them just, there's something in me that started to shift. Because in the beginning, it was about getting the mechanics right. You have your posture and you have, you know, it was really about delivering. And then it, when, once I settled into that, I began to be present about what I was talking about. And um, so there's two answers to that. So the first one is I began to realize that it wasn't enough to just report. I just felt like, okay, we've reported, then what? For some people, that's essentially what they're called to do. And that's their passion, and they say, me sharing the story is enough. I didn't feel like that was me. I felt like there must be a solution. And so, especially in 2013, when this issue around, um, you know, in access to periods, um, products, and information came out, there was a story called Periods of Shame, which was horrible because it showed girls um, using chicken feathers and goat hide, and this was 2013. And I brought it onto my show, a show I used to host every Monday, and Kenyans were just in uproar, like, how is it 2013? And there's girls using this, and I just, I literally couldn't sleep at night, so I went and asked my boss, what can we do? And she said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, something. So I just came up with the idea to do something symbolic like distribute pads, which is, I say symbolic because it's sometimes you realize it's not sustainable. And then in the end formed the foundation to say, how can we now seek sustainable solutions for this? So I was just um, triggered by the stories that I was interacting with. That was the first thing. The second thing, turns out, I come from a family of compassion. And I say it turns out because I've been digging my mom to give me more information. Somebody the other day was telling me, about my family. Mm-hmm. And in the sense they were saying, um, they're, they're one of my cousins who's very deeply rooted in history and family trees. And they were like, you need to understand that the woman you were named after, like your grandmother, your late grandmother, um, is somebody who just was constantly thinking about how to solve problems. And so he was telling me, it's not by mistake that that's who you are or that you kind of have gravitated towards how can we improve lives. And I look at all my cousins who are Wamuni. So I'm Janet Wamuni. And the three, four of us 
without knowing it, have gotten into activism. Mm-hmm. So it's, I guess, this power in a name. Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm like, my answer is two-pronged. <laughs> One is family tree, yeah. which is she just felt, so she was apparently very prophetic. And she was like, I'm, and those named after me, are supposed to do the work of God. Oh my God. I know. Mind-blowing. So I've told my mom, yeah. when are we having tea? Because clearly there's some things <laughs> you have not. Her. She told me in bits and pieces, but this person broke it down and said it was a prophecy for her. And I didn't know. I literally found out like two weeks ago. Yeah. So that's part of it. But the other one is I was triggered. I just didn't think it was enough to say and then go home. I wanted to follow through. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. I like that very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm here for the prophesying mm-hmm. part of the story. Okay. I'm a really firm believer in seers. I think mm. they're a very big part of our and ignored part of our society. That's true. Yeah. I feel like I had a conversation a little bit with you about this two years ago. It's possible. I'm, I'm a seer. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay, I know this is your interview, but no, tell but me sh- more. <laughs> shoot. I wanna, I, nobody ever asks me questions. I really want Ask. to <laughs> I really want to understand that. What do you yeah, how would you describe So it? I see things in my dreams. Wow. But um I have very, very vivid dreams. I actually have a dream book next to my bed that I that I um, wake up in the morning and write if yeah. I feel like something is really significant. Mm-hmm. I have very, very, very significant dreams. Mm-hmm. And then I have prophetic dreams. So I haven't like honed this power yet. So I don't know which is which is which. I just know I have dreams and I need to write them down. Okay. Um, I'll give you an example of a prophetic dream that I once had. Okay. I was I had I was having an emotional breakdown. Right. And decided to take a break and go to the coast. My therapist at the time was mm-hmm. living in the coast, okay. so I took a week off and went to the coast so I could have like intense therapy. Mm-hmm. On one of those nights, I had a really vivid dream about this little girl who owned snakes. Mm. She lived in this big house, but she had these snakes that she kept secret and would like hide them in the garage, in the back garage, and she would hide them under some rocks. But every day she would go and feed them. And it was just like, it was so vivid. So the next morning I woke up and I told my therapist this dream. And she was like, that was me. When I was a little girl, I used to have these little snakes that I used to hide under these rocks and I used to feed them. And then I was like, and then I said to her, also my dream ended because somebody found out and and killed the snakes. And she's like, that's exactly what happened. Okay. That's really powerful. (laughs) That is, I'm always drawn to such, um, to people who have such insight and the power to see. And yeah, I know you're saying you're figuring it out. And I think at its time when it's supposed to be revealed into something it'll it will happen yeah that's powerful it really is yeah. it really is and i, I understand i yeah. under I, well maybe not as much as i should mm-hmm. but i do understand the power i just i'm mm. i want to figure out how how mm. to i don't know <laughs> how, yeah what to do with it or where to place it yeah. right i think yeah now i'm encouraged to go down as well and just ask more about my my grandmother and just try and find out more about her and um what she did and what she's I would hear a lot of stories about her even from you know my aunties and all but not to the level of detail that this cousin told me about yeah and And how people like that are ostracized in society that's the other thing so I think she was ostracized for the longest time but then turned around and ended up being celebrated and even given a really powerful send-off and everything so so I find it I know I know I have um, one or two cousins who are deeply prophetic and I've, I've, you know, had, I've had conversations with them before. And so maybe it's just something to explore. Yeah. 
yeah. and find out. But that is powerful. Yeah, I agree. That's that's a powerful gift you have, guys. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So yes, in the nutshell, yes, I was triggered and I wanted to act on it because I really think everybody deserves, everyone deserves a chance at a better life. I, I genuinely believe that. And if there's any role I can play, then I'll do it because I can't stand intolerance. I can't stand um, injustice. It's, it's just, it's unfair. If every human being just kind of deserves to be treated with dignity and allowed to express themselves and then allowed um, access to their rights. And it's, for me, it was like, it's, it may sound basic, but I truly believe that if we don't give people access to their rights, then we're just oppressing them, right? So that's, I think, what drives me yeah. each time to say, no, I think, you know, this is something that they should have this is something there's a conversation we need to amplify um and i don't know whether i'm jumping the gun here but <laughs> recently i kind of unveiled this room which is supposed to be like a safe space for girls to talk girls boys men and women actually to be honest but mostly for girls to talk about their issues around periods so i was like it's just it's just going to be a safe space and literally as i was winding up and telling everyone okay thanks for coming you can go this group of girls stayed back and then they kind of motioned me. Then they just started pouring their hearts out and saying, this is happening to our friend or this happens to me and I don't know what to do and I don't know who to go to. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly why I created this room. It should just be a safe space um, for people to. And I always feel like periods is um, the sort of like the anchor to a bigger conversation. It really touches on everything from, you know, from sexism to poverty to crime just from that one transition. Yeah. If it's not handled right, if it's not, um, if people don't have the right information, the right access, it triggers a whole bunch of issues in our society. Yeah. And so um, it was just incredible to see these girls say, no, we need this. We just, we just really need people that we can talk to because our folks don't speak to us. Our teachers don't speak to us. We don't have anyone. And so, yeah. What was your first conversation about periods and who did it come from? <laughs> It was, it's funny because I, I mentioned it in, in, in the book that I have out because I shared my story. First of all, I was 10 years old. Um, so pretty young. Obviously, I thought I was dying because I woke up and there was just blood everywhere. No conversation prior to No that. conversation because when I now woke up, my mom, because it was a school day, I literally woke up, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, like a normal school day. And I'm like, mom, I'm dying. She was also shocked because she later told me, I didn't think you'd start at 10. I thought we had another two years before I can have the conversation with you. So she's trying to figure out her shock at seeing all this blood and then being like, it's a school day. So she was just like quickly, you know, clean yourself and then come. And she quickly showed me how to use a pad. And then she just said, don't let boys touch you or you'll get pregnant. And I promise you that line stayed with me till my 20s. So it's a conversation for another day. I, think I don't think a it's for another day for today. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> being that I'm here with Cass is probably a conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me write down age 20 to be discussed. <laughs> now, why did I unleash that on the spread? Like of all platforms. Because <laughs> this is it. This, this is, is it. also the safe space is. where you get to talk really about is. anything. <laughs> so in a nutshell, that was my conversation. And so I, it kind of carried, I carried a lot of trauma for a long time time um and eventually when i began to realize and understand that it's normal um which was much later i then realized i wanted to create a normal conversation around it for many people and that's eventually what led me to do the book 
Okay, which mm. we're going to get into because you haven't even said anything about the book That's and now you're just like, the book. <laughs> As if like, guys are just supposed to know what I know, the book is. I know, we'll get into it. <laughs> yeah, but you have boys. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard for me to say how... how okay, mm-hmm. let me rephrase the question. Because even conversations about period, the first initial conversation about period mm-hmm. is about sexuality. Absolutely. How do you think that you could change those conversations like with mm-hmm. your kids for example and start having conversations mm-hmm. um, with them at age appropriate years is that something that you think about is that something that you do yeah I think about it a lot especially because I'm constantly having these conversations and so when I go home um, I just I see that extension of my life and I look at Huru and Mali and I say I really want them to to understand it <laughs> I do remember though my mom saying, please don't tell me you talk about periods with Huru. I know you're all about the activism, <laughs> but he's four years old. Mm. Uh, but I know that there's age appropriate like conversations around sex, ETC. Um, I think for four, five, six, you know, going upwards. I think about it and I'm trying to understand it in a way that will also make him not have a very skewed view of what sex is and of what sexuality is, um, what periods are. And so, for example, it's even about making him understand, you know, his private parts. Because now he's getting to a place where he recognizes that he has this and he recognizes that. Um, I don't know that he's seen a girl's. I don't think he has because he would be very open (laughs) with me about it, I think, I hope. Um, And so sometimes if I see him maybe doing something like looking at it or touching it, um, I just try and prompt. So I don't sit down and I'm like, we have to have a talk. For now, because he's young, I try to gauge where his curiosity is. So I'm like, do you know what that is? Um, Are you curious about it? And he's a little bit passive. So I'm like, maybe he's not really in the space where it matters per se. But what I always say is no one should touch it. That's the one thing that I'm like, let's start with no one should touch it. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's personal. And if anybody else touches it, that's not your mom or your dad or your caregiver, then you need to let me know. And he's very aware of that. Okay. So I ask him once in a while, are you okay? Has anything happened? Like, no, I'm fine. And yeah. Huru Mulika's everybody. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's that guy. Which is a blessing. It's such a, it, yeah. It's one and of, will be a curse. Heck when yeah. He, when he's Those big snitch. Christmas lunches. <laughs> <laughs> And Mommy then every- likes to do this. <laughs> and then everyone just looks at you. So for now, that's as far as that conversation goes. How will I talk to him about it? I think now I'm really equipping myself. And each year and each time, you know, that goes on, I'll just constantly want him to be aware of that because I don't know that I want him to hear it from other people or take that as the gospel truth. I just need him to understand the importance and I think sanctity of, I don't know, sexuality and that thing. I don't know if I'm making sense. So for now, you it's are. just day I see at what a time. You're like yeah. it should be. Let it stay at home. Yeah, let it for st- now. Exactly. For now, let it stay at yeah. home. He's not even. He turns four in like a week, so he's still quite tiny. So yeah. I think in another year or two, for sure, I know we'll be like, okay, let's talk. Yeah. yeah. I really like the conversations that you're having with him about like him telling you mm-hmm. um, if anybody else touches him, yeah. which is so important because we also are. Uh, the rate at which young people are sexually abused right. is and is something that needs to be discussed more often because yeah. families also push sexual abuse under the rug. It's like, no, 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 just yeah. forget it, forget it, you know? Yeah. The British way. Yeah, the British, like, just <laughs> under rug swept, let's not talk about it. Then it yeah. manifests 
in a pretty terrible way later if it's not dealt yeah, with. You and know? you're wondering why your kid is a raging alcoholic or yeah. won't get anything done. And it's just like, it, yeah, you, you it, are the reason. You are the reason. <laughs> and the reason, Kaz, I love what you do. And I think why we need more of this. We just need to end the silence on a lot of conversations yep. and stop making it look like they're inappropriate. Yeah. I mean, somebody mentioned sex and I was like, <gasps> I'm like, it's 2019. Yeah. Let me tell you guys, please stop looking at this as... And it breeds a perception that also affects a lot of, for example, women. Let's start, I know it's women and men, but with women, there's this thing around sex being dirty. Yeah. And it follows people through till marriage. It's a huge deal breaker because that's all you've been told. It's been shoved down your throat. Don't enjoy it. You're not supposed to enjoy sex. Yeah, You're not supposed it's to. It's just for procreation. It's just for procreation. And, and then when you do talk about it in a different way, you're immoral. And so... The same thing with menstruation. It's when you hear about how women are just shooed away. So there's some cultures where it's when it's your period, you're in a hut for five days with the goats. You're not clean enough to be in the home. Don't yeah. touch food. Don't touch your husband. You're dirty. And you hear that every month. How is she going to feel any better about herself? You know. And so I think we just need to end a lot of the silence by having these kinds of conversation and, and normalizing them. Um, I think about sex education in schools, and it's always been a struggle. But I keep saying, I think teachers can find an age-appropriate way to talk to their teens. Oh, I can't trust a, <laughs> a teacher in a Kenyan system school to talk to a teen about... You have to understand. Yeah. Um, we, a lot of people are mm -hmm. coming from... Are, are raised by the same people who are telling people not to do things and teaching That's shame. True. Teachers are the ones that are teaching shame. Mm -hmm. Remember the story about the young girl who ended up killing herself because of her period. Yeah. And so I honestly, mm -hmm. it has to start with the teachers unlearning a lot of oh that, right? God, yes. Because <laughs> it's like, yes, uh, somebody please tell them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is the work of the Lord yes. right there. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I mean, already we are being raised by a government that is refusing to incorporate compre comprehensive sexuality education in the curriculum. Right. Yet we have the highest rate of young um, and mm. young young girls dying from unsafe abortions. Right. Young pregnancies. Pregnancies. Yes. And young people um, mm -hmm. with HIV virus, mm -hmm. like the the highest rate, the mm. highest number of people who have the HIV virus are the youth. Yeah. It's. And, and actually really young people really between young. in their teens. In their teens, like f sort of like 14, 15 yeah. to I think 29. Exactly. It? It's horrible. And th that's the thing. I think um, in a show I, I did recently where I was talking to women who've survived sexual abuse, I remember one of them saying, yeah, you can't talk about sexual violence or sexual abuse without talking about sex. Yeah. And so that's a huge hindrance to, um, I think, just progressing our society. But this mindset that we don't talk about it this silence that's oppressive and that breeds um, a lot of these issues that we're seeing, it, I think, again, the book, which I know we'll get into, yeah. I'm just determined to see it end. It has to end at least for the generation where Huru and Mali are coming into. Yeah. I'm hoping it can just be a normal conversation that's not shrouded in shame yeah. or it's immoral. I would hate to see that for them. I really would. I really think I'm not a parent, mm -hmm. um, nor do I have any intention of being one. Yeah, but I really think that things would be different if one of the things that we taught our children from the get with regards to sex education is consent. Absolutely. And just really as simple as 
Um, if your brother doesn't like his face touched, don't touch his face. Right. Yeah. Just like ask mm. people mm -hmm. how they want to be touched mm -hmm. physically. Do you want me to hold your hand? Mm -hmm. No. And just teaching like just even as simple as your little boys, mm -hmm. both of them, mm -hmm. and how they relate to each other. If he doesn't want that done, you have to respect his boundaries. Yeah. You have to respect his nose. Yeah. And I think the more that especially only because sexual um, violence is targeted at women, the more that we teach boys about boundaries and consent, the more that we're instilling in them, mm -hmm. like respecting people's boundaries, whether it's men, women, it's everybody's boundaries from a young age. Yeah. I feel like that's a really key conversation that people should have with their children. That is such a good point. I mean, absolutely. I'm just, I'm like, yes. <laughs> then my mind went. Um, you know, the other day there was this d debate about age of consent in Kenya, about them oh lowering God. it. To, I know, God. I know. <laughs> the activist in Kaz is like, I'm going to hurt someone. Because I thought about that 16-year-old. How is she going to tell a 50-year-old no? You know what I mean? Like, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way that you, you want, you say it's okay for, for a 16, 17-year-old in your own warped, disgusting way to be, you know, a mom. Because there's some people who believe it's okay you know, for, for teens to be moms. And yet you want to discuss consent. It's, it's just completely going against everything. This selfish patriarchy really makes me sick to my gut. Where I'm like, you just expect us to be at your servitude and to even as teens, just submit, you know? Yeah. Um, and that entitlement is the one thing that I'm completely hoping will begin to shift when it comes to even when let's say we're having conversations online about consent or about boundaries or about women being allowed to speak. And you see a lot of the backlash coming from certain men who just don't believe in that. I'm like, the fact that you feel that you're entitled to tell me what to say is a very big problem. Yep. It just means you will now feel free to do whatever and say whatever to me. And I've noticed it's very, very, very common. Um, there was a space where I was with people I knew and I had to shut it down. I really did because it, it, it's, it came out so naturally to them. Yeah. And I said, hold up, back up. What did you just say? You say that you feel like that's what she should be doing, that you're entitled to believe that she needs to address you in a certain way or do certain things to you. And I said, well, that's exactly why we're having the problems we're having today. So going back to your point, yes, consent from that young age, I think. Um, yeah. Because otherwise... We're just going to repeat the same things that we've been seeing over yeah. and over again. And and a thing that is very prevalent in Kenyan homes, probably in all homes, mm. but that I see more often than not in Kenyan homes, is that thing for like when the kid is forced to hug people mm. when during a family gathering. Yeah. It's like, go and hug. So yeah. like, you know, when I approach children, I, I'm always very weary of this. I was sexually abused as a child. Okay. So I know, I'm very, I think about these things off it all mm. the time and when i go into a household where there's children mm -hmm. um i ask the kid i'm just like hi do you, um can i hug you mm -hmm. and if they say no it's cool can i get a high five mm. but more often than not when i get when i ask can i hug you and the kid says no the parent says hug her mm. and i'm like no 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 no, no. it's mm. cool if they don't want to hug me it's cool we can high five we yeah. can high five and then just make it like a thing mm. so that like because i i don't know where parents get off 
yeah feeling the need to it's not a must that your child hugs somebody right it's actually okay for them not to mm-hmm. if they want a high five cool if they don't want any contact whatsoever it's also okay it's not rude mm-hmm. it's just respecting also you as a parent respecting your child's boundaries yeah that's i feel like you need to do this for parents <laughs> i'm just listening to you, i'm like so where is that forum where cas is going to speak to <laughs> honestly yeah. i think i think i think people need to hear it i i don't know that they know Of course no yeah. of course they don't know. Oh, and oh. also they think it's rude when you go to shags mm. and then the kid refuses to hug yeah. somebody or to kiss somebody. Right. Those are really intimate things. Right. And uh, you personally yeah. if you don't want to hug somebody you don't but why does your child does have it? to? It's so funny because now I'm thinking about who who doesn't like to hug. Yeah. No and there's a time it worried me <laughs> because even in school I'd be like you know say hi hug and I yeah. remember the teacher saying it's okay he doesn't have to. Yeah. Um And now just hearing you say it, I'm like, actually, I just need to be more aware that this is just his, but Mali loves to, he's just a hugger. Yeah. He's just like, come. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's important to just be aware to that. I don't know that a lot of people are aware. And yes, it's okay to say, no, it's not their fault. But I really feel like it's everyone's responsibility. If you're looking after a child, mm. I think be in tune with their patterns yeah. and their behavior. Yeah. Otherwise, sometimes we're just so busy and we let it slip. Um, and that can be dangerous. I think just taking time to be in tune and observing and saying, okay, that's interesting that this is what he does or what he says. Sometimes I'd be so concerned, I even spoke to like a child therapist about certain um, things that he would say or he would dream of. And she was like, right now he's okay. But I was like, I just want to be aware that I'm not letting anything slip. Mm-hmm. I just want him to be, to thrive, to be happy and healthy and comfortable with who he is, as opposed to feeling like he needs to fit into some you know societal box which a lot of them are still need to feel Absolutely. like they are yeah school does that yes and i mean there's no way to go about it unless you want to homeschool and then, yeah no yeah, I, co- i confronted the teacher there was pictures in the class of, of? um people that didn't look like him as like, white so folk going, yeah so let's take take that mix it and she, and they did which is really good and oh, i'm good. like you need to be aware of what you're is showing there mixed kids, kids in your ki- in yeah, your kids class there okay. is yeah so i was just like just try and you know diversify try and diversify because they're seeing it early is the teacher white or black <laughs> black oh dear <laughs> deeply like, deeply colonized deeply <laughs> but it's so they didn't they didn't see it they were just like oh okay and i said yeah That's you just need to called colonization it's also called colonization <laughs> i just went in and i was like hmm i think now they see me they're like oh boy yeah here she is <laughs> here she is coming with her wokeness <laughs> yeah. And actually this season of the spread this is season 3 of the spread and oh, and nice. our focus is decolonizing sexuality realizing that a lot of the thi- a lot of our habits and norms are things that were brought to us and things that were never our habits and mm-hmm. norms mm-hmm. and also um, I say very often that we don't the best con mm-hmm. is the one that you don't know is a con Mm-hmm. It's like 10 years after $10,000 has been stolen from your bank account, you're still like, <laughs> I don't understand how it left there. Yeah. Which is really what colonialism mm-hmm. is. I mean, they came, they changed everything. Yeah. And then we continue to replicate those things, mm-hmm. including violence, including hate, yeah. including um, um, the segregation, which is the tribalism that mm-hmm. we have, which is just like even just within the same tribe hating different even within the same family hating somebody yeah. because they're different mm-hmm. and that kind of hate and division and divide yeah. and conquer is is really what the colonialists used to to take over and um i feel like with each discussion is every podcast episode that i have has taps a little bit into mm-hmm. like 
do you see? Do you see what is happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really glad that we had that conversation mm-hmm. because like, and it's, it's easy for you for the, for, um, it's Huru's teacher. Yes. It's easy for Huru's teacher to under to realize or any teacher in mm-hmm. the school to realize, especially where there's, it's a mixed school mm-hmm. for them to realize, not to realize that there's no diversity. Exactly. And yeah, so he, I mean, yes, his, his school is, is pretty diverse. And, in, and inclusive um, and I just had to make her realize that with everything she does even with the teachers teaching so they, they do have um, mixed you know different uh, teachers from different backgrounds um, but always saying that I feel like there needs to be a balance so that also I don't know how I'd feel if it's only a certain race yeah. teaching him I would also have an issue with that can we mix it up yeah to their credit they do listen I'm like, I know I'm coming here to disrupt, but it's for your interest. <laughs> and your benefit. <laughs> and your benefit. <laughs> and I will gently nudge until I have to come and scream. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know that psych- yeah, psycho yeah, way of saying yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. it's important because we know we know what it did to us, right? We know yeah. how it made us view life. And they're now at a st- I think they're they have an opportunity to have the most to live the most authentic version of themselves. That's what yeah. I think. Um yeah. and so let it start when they're young. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of children, mm-hmm. you have a third baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Tell us about your third baby. Okay. Not a human. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you two of mine are not. Okay. So okay. The spread is one of them. The spread is hey, one Janet, of them. Janet, meet the spread. Yes. Thank you. So nice to meet you. You're so lovely. Um, my book? Yes. Yes. So I was, I, I think it was about a year and a half ago, I found myself... Always, again, going back to what I said earlier, there was this (laughs) periods would be this anchor to different conversations. I know for a fact, let me see how I can can share this to make sense. When I was around, I think I was 11. It was a year after I started my periods. This thing happened with boys my age. Now, this is very weird, Kaz, because I'm told, I am told to call it abuse. But then for the longest time, I haven't because we were age mates. Maybe you can school me a little. I don't know. But I was 11, 11 and a half. And these boys would come home. I have brothers, so they'd be playing with my brothers and everything. But sometimes they would find a way to corner me and then just touch me everywhere. And it's very weird because it was in complete silence. No one was saying anything. I didn't know what to do. I was always sort of like frozen in shock. I think it was shock, embarrassment, shame. But I didn't stop it. I didn't say anything. Um... Yes, there was no penetration, but there was a lot of fondling, including with my underwear down. And it happened about three times. And each time I hated myself more because I wasn't saying anything, but I also um, didn't not enjoy it. It was very strange. Yeah. Right. So and then I remember the third time being convinced that I was pregnant because remember, mom had told me if you let boys touch you. So I spent... I think just months frozen in, I'm the worst girl, I'm, and I was very young, so I can't even make sense of what my head was thinking, but I remember all these things very vividly, and I remember it was actually three, it was on three occasions, which I remember very vividly, I remember where we were, I remember how many boys it was, and I remember what they did, Um, and the reason I'm, I'm not reaching, but it always came back to this thing I was told about my periods, that they now make you this person who can create another human being and 
I don't know it's, if you're touched, it's immoral, blah, blah, blah. So for the longest time, it affected my outlook on sex. It affected my outlook on intimacy. And I think because I never addressed it, I think it's only in 2008 when I was mentioning it to an organization and a lady was, you know, told me, but that sounds like abuse. And I said, but we were the same age. And she said, okay, you're going to have to deal with that because you're shunning it. And it's only now that I'm kind of mentioning it to my therapist among the other plethora of issues that we talk Aww. about. Um, and so I found myself having conversations with, with women and looking at hearing how much periods were either a disruption in their, like literally in their life, women who'd lost their jobs because of having fibroids and not being able to get time off or you, you know, you take time off and you're told now you're skiving, so you have to go. Um, you know, girls who had to solicit sex in order to get sanitary products. I actually interacted with one. And so I say to myself, okay, if we're going to understand how much periods, yes, we, we should celebrate it because it's a transition and it, it's not something to be ashamed of, but let's let people understand the disruption angle. Let's just create a conversation that's not just one-dimensional. Let's, let's show you how many facets of life it feeds into. And so I thought, for me, because I'd hear these stories, I'd, like, I'd really like to get a collection of these stories because they're fascinating. They're either really tragic or they're really empowering or they're really amazing. And so in the beginning, it was just going to be a very simple exercise. I think I was just going to do it for a month online. And then I started speaking to more men about it. And I realized I want there to be a resource tool that exists in schools and in libraries and in offices where, A, we can see ourselves talking about periods. By the period poverty regarding Kenya and Africa is talked about a lot in the West. I'm like, but you're, yeah. why are you talking for us? Yeah. So that triggered me. I'm like, no, I actually just want us to, te to tell our stories. Yeah. And then I wanted it to be super inclusive. And that's what inspired me to say, I'm going to do a collection of stories in a book. I'm going to do 50 stories. Um, try to be as inclusive as I possibly can. If I haven't in the first volume, I will do a volume two. Yeah. And so I, I mean, started... It, it's, I can imagine how hard it is to be completely inclusive. With 50, yeah. right? It's hard. But I, I wanted to see, you know, women with disability. We don't often hear about a woman who's blind. And so I featured a woman who's blind. I featured um, somebody who's gender nonconformist because I also thought it was important to link periods and sexuality. Yeah. Um, I featured an imam. I remember being pretty amazed by him. I'm like, good for you, bro. Because mm. <laughs> he'd literally come from calling men to prayer mm. to coming to do the story. And so I did want there to be men and women in just different faces and stories. Mm. And what came out of it was kind of what I'd envisioned that there are so many things that are affected by this one transition. It's just one transition, but girls are married off the moment they get their period in some cultures. You got your period, you're good to be a wife, even if you're nine or yeah. 10. Um, some women threw their daughter's period parties because for them it's the most um, uh, sort of like, I think, sacred transition. So some people see it in a really positive light. Yeah. And so just this collection of stories that talk about periods, but also show you the gaps in policy and in access. And so using the book as a tool to influence policy change, um, it's multi-pronged. So it's a tool to influence policy change because one of the people is a former inmate. So she talked about, you know, having her period in prison and it's really horrific what actually happens to inmates and the cruelty that they're treated with during that when they're on their period. So it's a tool for influence, uh, influencing policy because our policy is very, it's shallow. We're not looking at women who are incarcerated. So therefore we're locking out women. You yeah. know, it's only primary school girls, which is 
absolutely true and important. But what about girls who aren't in school? What about women? What about women in prison? What about women um, in the workplace who can't cope with endometriosis? You know. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted it to do was I just wanted sort of like girls and boys to see that it's a very normal thing. I wanted girls to see themselves. Which normalizing. Is why normalizing, which is why I try mm. to choose different faces so yeah. that whoever you are, you, part of you the have one, a relatable person. You have a relate. I hope so. But yes, I think I think there's quite a number who will be relatable. And so I'm really excited about it. I think... What's the book called? My First Time. And where is it available? <laughs> so right now it's available on pre-order. Okay. It's going to be um, available... Um, in stores in early November. So pretty soon. Okay, okay. So right now people are pre-ordering. Thank you. Please keep... When Pre yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know. <laughs> you can still pre-order or you can order depending on when you hear this, but there's a link in the description box below. Yes. So please click on it and then please, you'll know whether you're right. pre-ordering or ordering. Or, or ordering. There you go. <laughs> and 10% um, of the proceeds are going towards just innovative solutions to addressing period poverty. Uh, how mm. would you translate that 10%? It's hard to because I just wanted a certain number um, from the proceeds, from the, you know, the sales of the book yeah. to literally be dedicated towards going, you know, as a resource. Okay, so it, mm. it could be anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's 10%. No, I so, mean like mm. in terms of oh, where, the, where it's yes, going to. Where it's going to. Yeah. So one of them is this resource center, this safe space, because yeah. it's going to need, it obviously needs to sustain itself. And because it's going to have information and, and products and trainings and sessions, okay. that's one of the ways in which buying the book actually enables that to happen. Yeah. So I wanted the, I wanted it to be a very tangible, I wanted there to be one tangible link to the proceeds and one of them is the center. Yeah. But you see, there could be other projects that people are doing. Um, there's a lot of people in the space of trying to fight menstrual um, inequality. Yeah. And so there's no harm saying, in, at some point, some of it could go towards one or two other initiatives. Yeah. But for now, it's it's really linked to the center, the safe space. Cool. Yeah. Funny thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Your twin brother. Yes. <laughs> yes, Tim. <laughs> was on the show. Yes. <laughs> when we did an episode called My First Time. <laughs> you see, the prophet, <laughs> let me tell you guys, Kaz is just prophetic. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, then he went into, I remember. Yeah, no, yeah. we talked about the first time we had sex. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Something you care to share? <laughs> I know nobody's ever asked you that. Oh my, so. nobody, nobody. But. Oh, pray tell. <laughs> I mean, you did say 20. Yes, it actually wasn't great, which is yeah. why I'm like, ee. yes, it was in my 20s. So I was pretty late in okay. the game. Okay. Um. And first of all, like, he, he wasn't really a nice person. I had to ask myself questions about certain people I was dating because they were controlling and conniving. So I had to, one of the reasons I wanted to go into therapy recently was to just try and understand why that was an attraction to me. Yeah. Because I'm, yeah. Daddy issues? Not the, that's the weirdest thing. I have such a dope relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. um, my dad partly contributed to this book. He's like, oh. yeah, he's that dope. He's, he really is. He's like, okay, yeah, what do you need? Yeah. Um, and I told him the other day, you're, you're such a feminist. I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but let me be the first. He's like, yeah. I suppose I am. So that's the oh, thing. I like him. He's amazing. He's, he's really, he's just, he's very open-minded and he's open to having conversations yeah. and just tries not to put... Yes, he's kind of between old power and new powers, but yeah. he tries to just be open and be like, okay, let me hear you out. Yeah. Um, Before you talk about your first time, yes. I don't, I really don't want um, 
the moment to go by without me saying I'm really sorry mm-hmm. about what was happening to you when you were a teenager. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's a really horrible situation and mm. also very common. Mm. And boy, you see, the thing about teaching boys consent at a young yeah. age is so that they don't turn to be those boys. Right. And Lord knows what else they, they what other kind of abuse mm. they were inflicting on other people. Especially as they got lives. older, right? Yes. Yeah. So the legal term is actually defilement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it does, it, it, people both under the age of 18, I mean, if there's any kind of interaction amongst teens, whether consensual or not, it's defilement, but it is still abu- it's sexual abuse. And okay. I'm, it's terrible that it happened to you. Okay. And it's happening to so many people. So it really helps for you to, to have, just even to say, I didn't know what was going on and it felt uncomfortable because there's so many people now mm. who are who are probably having aha moments like, aha, that makes sense. Right. I, I Something similar mm. happened to me as well. Yeah. You know? Wow. Thank you for... Yeah, I think there's a whole education that even those of us who are in the space of trying to get people to understand their rights, sometimes I'm like, I just... I'm also trying to fathom a lot of the things that happened to me. And I think sometimes I separated so much from other folks that I'm having the conversation with, yeah. I'm really trying to work hard to now also understand what it did to me. Because for the longest time, I, I'm one of those people who's like, oh, don't worry about me, I'm fine. Oh, don't worry about what happened to me. But I realized I was projecting it in very weird ways. Mm. So that's what made me realize I need to address this. I was actually being a little, I was being toxic when I didn't need to be. I was, you know, hurting people when I didn't need to. So yeah. I, I decided to look into it. Um, so when did you start therapy um properly i would say october last year september october last year so it's been almost a year yes it's the best thing like i should have just started earlier but i started it when i kind of had a sense that i was crashing you know i could see it coming i could just see when you're you're in a train and you can just see you're about to hit a rock and i wanted to nip that in the bud because i was like i don't know that i want to crash and then um, and then the funny thing is, there's a lot of things that happened over the last year that were deeply traumatic and it helped that I had therapy to just mm. give me tools to cope. And then I had anxiety about being a new mom and it, it was just, it was a lot and I could feel it weighing on me. Mm-hmm. And so therapy has been literally life-saving. It's just allowed me to cope. Every day I have a lot of anxiety. I think in our family, we do struggle with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so being cognizant of that and then finding ways to cope. Because I just, I know I talk a lot about my kids and I never in my life thought I'd be that person. But they do give me, they're the reason that they drive me a lot to just want to be a good version of myself for them. Mm -hmm. Because I always feel like if I'm falling apart or how, they can't help themselves. They're so young. And so I wanted to do better for me, but I also really wanted to do better for them. Because I would find myself really struggling with motherhood. Um, and thank God I have a decent support system around me. So my mom would pick up on it and be like, I'm coming over because you just look like you're about and to. And your folks are all the way in the coast, right? They they actually are between coast and Nairobi. Okay. Thankfully, now they spend a lot of time in Nairobi. Mm. Um, and I think because she just picks up on my vibe, she's like, okay, then let me just, why don't you just bring them for the afternoon and just go do something? Yeah. And I was like, that <sighs> helped me a lot. It's it just, beautiful. Yeah. So... And a privilege. Not many people have that. I keep saying that. I keep. I don't take for granted the the privilege and access that I have, and that's why I just want it for others. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I know how much it's helped me um, go along. Yeah. You know. So, um, my 
first time. Wait, 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 wait. Yes. We're going we're gonna to flip it a little bit. Uh, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> we're going to do, and I'm, I, this is off the cuff, so I don't even have the, the questions. Okay. We're going to do five firsts. Okay. Yeah? Okay. okay. <laughs> so uh, the first time you put on a tampon. Mm-hmm. The first time... Should I answer as you ask? No, no, no. no, no okay. No. Tampon, okay. Tampon. Mm-hmm. First time tongue kiss. Okay. First time sexual intercourse. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, cats. Uh, <laughs> first time giving birth. Mm-hmm. And uh, first time... Oh, no. Give me one. Um... um Mine are not fun, but I've already answered. I was going to say first time going to therapy, so I'll have to think of the fifth one. First time mm-hmm. having a mental breakdown. Ah, let's start with that. Okay. Why don't we? Okay. <laughs> Let me just write these down. Let's start with that because I think the, the the last two you asked are more recent, so I can remember. Wow, I feel like it was in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons that I decided to take a break from mainstream media. But um, it was 2016. I had just clocked, I think, nine years nonstop of being, you know, a broadcast journalist. Um, I'd taken on multiple roles. And um, the more I was doing, the further away I was getting from myself. So I felt a complete disconnect within me. Um, And... I just one day woke up and I said, something has got to give. And then I woke up again and then I said, I, I guess I don't really want to move. I just went into this place where I crashed for a bit. Um, and then that's when I made the decision to say, I'm going to take a break. And I was also not having quite a good relationship with, especially with my son. He was kind of more used to the nanny. Um, so I was like, something has to give. And so... I, I guess I would call it a breakdown. I think it just happened over gradually. time. It happened gradually until I said, if I don't, if something doesn't give, I am going to actually completely crash. Um, so I don't know that I have the exact moment, but I do remember it was 2016. I think it was in October. And that's when I made the decision to say, first, I'm going to leave media for a bit. And then I'm going to reconnect with my son. And then the plan was to go for therapy. I yeah. don't know why that didn't happen soon enough. And then I'm going to now build on my passion and my philosophy. So, yes, it was a crash, but it helped me kind of just gain some um, perspective. And so, yeah, then I left in April. So I, I knew in October, but I decided to go easy mm. and not just pull a fast one. So I left in October, mm. in April of 2017. Mm. So I would say that, okay. was, that was my first of a few. Yeah. I feel like... Life does that. Life does that. <laughs> you know, one day, Kaz, we're going to come back here in a year, mark my word, and I'll just tell you a little story about some of the other stuff I've been dealing with, which I can't really talk about right now. But That's anyway. okay. That's okay. Yeah. So that was that was the first one. Um, so that was the breakdown. Yes. Um, first of all, kudos to you for like even saying that it's something that happens, that yeah. recurs. Yes. But you're still, you're still standing. That's the thing, though. 
Yeah. Do you feel like you still stand or do you go? Oh, no, okay. I know. Okay, you know. No, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm a stander. <laughs> You're a stander. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, broke my knee. Gotta get up. Gotta, yeah. Ooh, broke my other I knee. I guess so. Gotta get up. And, yeah. Story. Story of life. And and I do see that there's some people mm-hmm. who, some somebody was saying, you know, you have to give yourself um, props for always getting up. Mm-hmm. But my thing is just like, I have no choice. Yeah, there you go. I like, like how the ground feels. Yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. I really hate how the ground feels. (laughs) So I'm just like, you know, just going to keep going. So props to you too. I don't know that a lot of people have that in them. And maybe it just takes a lot of learning. Yeah. Um, So yeah, this, I I definitely do. I've mentioned it a little bit online and just, there's times I've gone offline as well, just to not crash. I think I DM'd, remember when you asked what happened to the show and and I said mental health check. So there's, I do have those patterns and I'm just like, I need a moment. Yeah. I'm doing better than I have in a while, but there's other stuff that still, I feel, you know, is really painful to deal with, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cope. Yeah. Then there's the first time I gave birth. I think that was the second, the second last one. Yeah. Um, that was 2015. I had a cesarean with both of them, but it was, I didn't know what to expect. I feel like I was very la-di-da about this life. I didn't want to read much about it. I'm like, I'm just going to, you know. Allow my body to just tell me what it needs to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to listen to my body. Do you eye roll? Like, how do you not, when you hear people say that, you're like, oh God, look at this one. (laughs) People have been doing this shit for centuries. For centuries, but hey, you do you. I tried not to. I, there was a lot of traumatic stories going on about birth and everything. And I just said, I just want to be present and feel good. It kind of helped, actually. It was... Um, How long were you in labor for before? Like, what was the C-section story? The C-section... The first... My first one was very straightforward. I yeah. even booked when I'm going to do the C-section. Okay. He's like, your due date has arrived. You're working with about a week yeah. or so. I'm like, okay, then let's do it on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, so you chose the C-section. He was breached, so he wasn't... Okay, yeah, got it. It wasn't going to... Uh, so he said either we could try to turn him. We tried to. was excruciatingly painful. I'm like, is there another... What is that process? He, they literally hold the baby and try to turn oh, the Jesus baby. Lord. And after a few oh. seconds, I'm like, you know, it's not that deep. Yeah. I'm not trying to earn any medals here. Yeah. Because I, of course, I was like, I want to, you know, push that. Yeah. I was like, no, it's not that deep. So I checked in to the room like a day before, literally like it's a hotel. Yeah. Had a, a great procedure, went well. And so that was my first, you know, experience with, with birth. It was thankfully, thankfully, it was just a very organized, painless process. Yeah. Um, the healing went well and it was good. I, I don't take such things for granted. So I really thank God. It's the second one where I went into labor. Yeah. <laughs> but still ended yeah. up having a C-section because yeah. I wasn't dilating. So I was in labor for 11 hours. Okay. And then, and I was all for it. You should have seen me. I'm like, I'm going to push. Do you know who panicked? My entire family. At some point, they were all surrounding my bed. Like, just J- Imagine. Into- and I'm like, you people, uh, as I'm contracting, I'm like, <laughs> you don't want me to just go through this process. They were like, for who? Yeah. And so eventually I gave in because they looked like they were going to pass out with fear for me. So, out of curiosity. Yeah. Like, going through the 11 hours of labor and pushing and knowing that you're going to push and mm-hmm. then not pushing mm-hmm. does that have an effect on your on your mental health no it afterwards? didn't for me it didn't i have one or two people i know for whom it really really did um one of them actually ended up getting you know postpartum mm. but luckily she went and and sought help for it i always told myself this when i was going to have um two of my my sons was whatever happens as long as they're safe and healthy yeah and so that was always my mindset and so I didn't really feel like, oh, okay. I wish I had no, because okay. I told myself, it's okay, John, if it doesn't happen, are they healthy? Yeah. Are they good? 
all that I matters. I really wonder about that guilt that, it, that oh, mothers carry. It consumes. I have a cousin actually who didn't want to see anyone because she didn't push. So people are coming to visit her and she's under the covers and she's crying. And I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, who are you trying to... Please. I'm like, this must be outside of you. Yeah. You know, um, she, she, she dealt with it, but it just goes back to this thing where we have to perform for people. Yeah. You have to perform. You That's have to push. That's such a deep-rooted thing it that really you're carrying. Is. A yeah. deep-rooted insecurity. It is. And yeah. you didn't push, so therefore you're not actually as perfect as yeah. they thought you were. I was, and I was very cognizant about postpartum because yeah. I'd read that it can happen anytime, anywhere with any child, even your fifth. Um, and so I kept telling, I kept reading <laughs> before I had both my sons, I kept reading about signs about postpartum, how to cope with it, how to look out for it. What are the triggers? Da, 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 da. So I feel like to some extent that really helped me Yeah. because when I felt like I had baby blues, which happens, I think to 85% of women, it's yeah. just, I would just try and rein myself in mm -hmm. or call someone. I'd call my doula, I'd call my therapist and be like, this is how I'm feeling, da, 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 just to try and work myself out of out of it and it, it helped so that was yeah. th those were my birthing experiences okay my first and second time yes what are the <laughs> other three? First, tankis uh, tankis first tankis oh i remembered my first tankis i was 15 mm -hmm. it was in boarding school and it was just before lights out okay and it was, was really it like? good was it it was actually really good mm -hmm. i was impressed <laughs> Mm -hmm. It um I felt tingles everywhere. <laughs> it was good. That's it was aggressive. It was quite passionate and yeah. in in there. It was really good. I guess he'd done it many times before. So Did you date him? Did you end up dating him and kiss him again? No, I didn't. Okay. I really dated weirdly in my teens. I just tested the waters. I yeah. just, you know, had fun, kissed a number of boys, didn't do anything serious. Yeah. I don't know why. Looking back, I'm not sure why. It just wasn't important for me to have a boyfriend. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. So I just used to go out, kiss a boy, go home, go out another day, kiss another boy. Mm. Until, literally until my 20s. Yeah, I think my first serious relationship was in my mid-20s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's now talk about first time I had sex because that's the relationship. Yes, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It uh, was pretty bad. An asshole. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not it like it is. Um... And I just didn't enjoy it. I think I had fantasies about what it would be like. I, I, you know, I wanted to be cared for and I just wanted to be, remember Love and Basketball? Yep. No, <laughs> that movie ruined yeah. the first time for a lot of yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Look at you, you're like, it's just. Even Love and Hip Hop. Right. I mean, all of those like black movies. Yeah. just like, <laughs> I, I want to date dates. I want to. Yeah. yeah. So it, I think it was very far removed from that. And we dated for a while and then. I, it just was very strange. But that was my first time. And it wasn't great. Okay. Even subsequently, just wasn't great. Yeah. No, it's fine. Are you having great sex now? <laughs> Can we at least... Wow, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't I say know, no. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kaz. The yeah. answer to that is, is yes. Yes, you are having great sex. Or rather, actually, the question is just like later on in your life, did later, you have great I, sex? I did. Because Le you deserve good sex. <laughs> I know. You're doing God's work. Uh, the least you could get is good laid. Oh my gosh, yes, later on in life, <laughs> for sure. Later on in life, for sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> great. And then, uh, first time you put on a tampon? I was, I think, 16, and I was in Diani. Um, 
cups and tampons I've tried. Um, I actually use sanitary pads. First of all, my flow is for the river. Mm-hmm. It's super heavy. Sometimes I use Depends. That's how bad it is. Mm-hmm. I use like either literally something that looks like a maternity pad. Mm-hmm. I'm on birth control to help me because I had endometriosis many years ago. And then it went? It, well, I had my ovarian cysts removed. Okay. But they did tell me there's always a chance it could come back. So even as I speak to you, I have a pending appointment with my gynecologist because my cycle has been excruciatingly heavy, sporadic, um, and, and painful for the last few months. Okay. So I'm just hoping and praying it's nothing serious. But yeah. as we speak, I can't use anything other than pads. So that was my first time using a tampon. Um, and I didn't really use it much after that. I think I used it because I was going swimming. Yeah. And then I used it a few times. And then I found myself going back to using pads. I think because yeah. I've always had a very heavy period. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a really big advocate for cups. I have mm. a ton of cups that I give out for free. I'm actually going to give you a few. Then you can just keep them oh. in your bag and give them out. Thank when you. you. When you bump into people. <laughs> okay. But I don't use them. Oh, what do you use? I use pads. You use pads? Yeah. Okay. Why? I don't like things inside my vagina. Okay. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like unnatural yeah. things inside my vagina. Okay. So um, I don't like the, how tampons feel. Mm-hmm. I'm just like my I mean, unless it's like the flowy, flowy part of your period that's lubricated. Mm. Also, just like my vagina is tight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and putting on even just a mini tampon, yeah. it just feels so uncomfortable. Okay. So I don't like tampons. I've tried cups like six times. Yes. It's not worked. It's not. I They've know. They've refused to work for me. And I'm just like, everyone has their own thing. Yeah, I think so. So, so I'm okay using <laughs> pads. Um, pads. I, I'm, I'm grateful for my mm-hmm. period. I don't have heavy periods. I don't have long periods. And I don't have painful periods. That's good. Yeah. I had a conversation with a guy two or three days ago. And he just randomly was asking, hey, do you have a painkiller? He had a headache. Do you have a painkiller? And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't. Mm-hmm. Then he said, he said, because I don't want you to give me an, any of those painkillers that women use on their period I was, I was like oh i don't get pain, painful periods <laughs> yeah i was like i don't get painful periods yeah and then he was like oh no you don't wow. because for him he was just like i thought that is just oh part of it yeah that's the thing it's all not periods are painful, are painful yeah. yeah and miserable yeah no <laughs> i have people who love their period yeah they're like it gives me no grief and yeah. i'm always like also Good it reminds for you. me that i'm not pregnant yes this is <laughs> This is the like, other thing. <laughs> Every time a like, period comes, I'm like, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So use pads. Yeah, I use pads as well. Yes, I'll, I'll take the cups and give them. I tried. I know Abby tried to give, uh, you know, I got a, pa- um, a cup from her. I tried to use it, but yeah, I'm comfortable with pads. Yeah. So I'll just use pads for a while. Yeah, let's do that. Until I maybe decide one day to wake up and cancel my period. But for now, yep. I'm just going to keep it. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. The first and the last time. Yeah, <laughs> the first and the last time. That's funny. When was your last period? You know, outside of the natural way periods are meant to yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. But so. thank you, I guess, for being. I feel like that. That yeah. we've come to the end of our. No. I mean, we can stay on. I know. But if you're staying on, I hope you know you're committing to some dirty talk. Oh no, no, no we're, we're going into the hardcore <laughs> can, shit. Can we do that for? <laughs> I honestly, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this is because. It feels good to finally be able to allow myself to have these conversations. You remember that unlearning we talked about before? Part of it was not having certain conversations, you know, in the public because it's perceived a certain way. And I've had to really unlearn a lot of that and just get to a place where I'm like, you know, this is who I am. This is who I'm growing into. Yeah. I'm grown. So if I want to have conversations about sex, I, I shouldn't be demonized. I shouldn't feel some type of way 
because people are like, oh, but we hold you in this esteem. Yeah. You know, and even to your point earlier about people calling you a role model, it's all well and good. And I appreciate that. But the pedestal thing is what I say. Don't put me there because yeah. you know what? I will fall off. I'm human. I'm very human. And so I'm trying not to place a lot of expectations on myself. And I'm asking the world <laughs> to do the same, to yeah. offer me the same grace. To offer me the same grace. And um, I'm just figuring out my life. I, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place because I've accepted that there's traits I have that I need to work on, that there's things I'll never be able to change. And it's good. Yeah. But where I can, I just try and do better. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so that's kind of where I am. I think I'm releasing a lot of negative energy. That's I beautiful. I feel like I was holding a lot. And I was even just reaching out to people being like, whether or not they wanted to reconnect, my thing was I'll extend the olive branch. But if the hurt was too deep, it's okay. I, yeah. can, also, I can also agree that maybe I'm not even healthy for you. You know what I mean? And to come yeah. to that is not Sometimes easy. Sometimes you are the toxic person. Literally, in someone's yeah, life. Absolutely. And so it feels good to get to that place where you're like, it's cool, Janet. It's like, it's life. Just try and do the best you can. And just, you know, let people be and let you be. Yeah. Yeah. That's growth. <laughs> it's growth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes ma'am. Good for you. Ooh. Thank you. Yeah. Dead at times has. I don't know. You. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're in therapy. Mm. I, I, I really would have wanted to talk more about mental health. and mm -hmm. But I mean, I, we have a little bit um, over the hour. Mm -hmm. And I just love that... Um, especially if you're being a quote-unquote role model. Yes. I feel like these are some of the things that people should should take home. I think so. Yeah. Um, I feel like I am going to get, you know, and I also feel like uh, my book is a vehicle for me to have more open and honest conversations. I don't know why sometimes I feel like I need a tool to then. Yeah. And this book for me is going to be the tool because, like I said, quite a number of things were covered in these stories from, you know, sexuality to abuse to um, celebration and just using that to have open conversations about transitions. Yeah. Nobody wants you. I'm very passionate about transitions because nobody wants you. I even say that I think on in another platform that you have all these showers, the baby shower, the bridal shower, mm. and then nobody really wants you for what it's really like. And yeah. it can, you can be traumatized for real. You know, and I think if people can just have honest conversations about expectations, they'd be in a better place. Yeah. So I'm always the one in baby showers and when everyone's giving away the cute tutus, mm. I have this huge bag of like diaper, like maternity pads, yeah. savlons, do what? <laughs> so everyone always goes quiet. I'm like, so the two of you will live hospital in diapers. Okay, one, two, you're going to you're going to feel you're going to have baby blues. You're going to have this. And you can just see the answer. Nipple like, chafing. Like, all of that. And you can just <laughs> see the answer, like, <clears throat> you know. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if no one tells her she will struggle. Yeah. So no one really told me. And so I just want to be able to let people know that it's, it's just not a bed of roses. Let's be real. If we can be real and find ways to cope, then that's a good place yeah. to start. Yeah, just I learn agree. To cope. Yeah, I agree. But this is her. Ah, this has been, this has been really good. I feel like, I feel like it's a release. I just feel like it's, it's dope. It's therapeutic in its own way. Mm. So thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
yeah, yeah. thank you so much for coming this yeah. is this has been great i really have enjoyed this yeah me too we really could go on yeah we really could yeah <laughs> but we won't but because <laughs> i believe we both have things to do with our day we do yeah. we have things to do okay so um anybody who wants to reach out to janet um if you want to help perhaps with yeah. the projects that she's working on i have all of the details in this in the description box below please make sure that you buy her book i think yes. it's important i think that's a nice way to support the cause as well mm -hmm. and all of her social media information is also in the description box below so follow her and all of that good stuff thank you thank you thank you okay bye Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. This is The Spread Podcast. If you haven't been listening, please just go back and listen to all of the podcast episodes. Do a catch-up uh, weekend. Do a catch-up weekend where you can catch up on all of our podcast episodes. Don't forget to leave us a dope review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you are listening to us from. We really appreciate the love and support. Don't forget to follow us. We're at The Spread Pod across the board. We'll see you next time. Bye. Lay down my body and just expose myself to you, oh baby So lay down your body and just expose yourself to me too Because I want your love, will you give me love? Make my dream a reality Cause I know I'm not gonna run around looking for something that's right in front of me Secrets with you, cause with you I have no fear. Because my soul is ready and my heart is vacant. I want you to be with me.